The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod. Apple driving away from an iCar. It's a big step to go from making smartphones to making a car. Plus, it wasn't going to fly, was it? And it wasn't going to be autonomous. The big tech's big shift from EVs to artificial intelligence. Apple has been left behind, left out of the AI party almost entirely. United Health, owner of the largest U.S. health insurer, facing an antitrust probe. Dr. Scott Gottlieb explains how we got here. Doctors lose money and hospitals lose money on their Medicare lines of business. And so what they've done in response to that is they've consolidated. They've sold their practices to hospitals and to insurance companies. Plus, AI's in the workplace. But former Goldman Sachs head of HR Edith Cooper argues machines don't have everything. Judgment and instincts are going to be of higher value. It's Wednesday, February 28th. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand under by in three, two, one. Cue Anders. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We are live at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Andrew Ross, working along with Joe Kernan. And yes, this morning, wow. Melissa Lee. Becky's wow. out, but uh, nice to see you. Happy well, to be here. Welcome to the party. So... We've been begging for what six, seven days. We've begging. been by ourselves, begging. just the boys. I know. Begging, and you're like, and no, apparently America no, no. cannot take it no, any longer. Yeah, right, so, right. Melissa Lee is here. <laughs> right. uh, we like, appreciate make it you waking stop. up. Make it stop. We appreciate you waking up very early for this. Meantime, Apple is canceling its electric vehicle project after about a decade of development. That is according to a Bloomberg report citing people with knowledge of the matter who said Apple made the disclosure internally yesterday. The report said that nearly 2,000 employees working on the project were surprised by the announcement. Many employees in the car team will be shifted to the artificial intelligence division. Apple, and C- Apple CEO Tim Cook, uh, Apple and CEO Tim Cook, have never acknowledged the car project publicly, but have referred to work on uh, autonomous systems. So they haven't been open about this, but now they're scrapping it. You know, one of the things I was thinking about is a lot of people looking at this as a failure, like a major failure. I don't no. look at it that way. Because I think that what was happening was there was sort of an internal battle going on for the last decade inside Apple about whether to even go this route, right? And I think Tim Cook was always on the fence. You mean a failure for EVs, not just for Apple? Like, uh, in- no, I think that actually the, the failure no, but, of EVs right now is actually has almost no impact. That's what I mean. But that's, that's what you, if you just read the headline okay. and you're a person who thinks that this transition is, is being rushed and, and not going to work, this would be like, oh, see, this would be another day. But I don't think it, I, I no, want to no. know the real what story would, behind the story, too. The, the only story that I know behind the story was there was always a debate inside right. the company mm-hmm. about whether they could Apple, actually pull this off, EVs. the yeah. capital investment it would require, and frankly, whether you could ever capture any kind of margin on a vehicle that looked anything right. like the devices and the margin that they're capturing on this. It would be margin dilutive. Right. Margin dilutive. Yeah. And there was this idea, you remember, in a world where, where oil was data, or, or sorry, data was the oil, new oil, yeah. you wanted to own the car because if you had the car, you were going to have, you're going to know where your customer was at all times. By the way, if you have the phone, you know where your customer is at all times too. But And that you were going to be able to take all this data, by the way, Apple doesn't like to 
play around with data the way right. some of the other companies do. But there was this idea you'd have images, you know, every every Tesla, I think, has eight cameras on it, all of this. It's just, it's very interesting uh, well, to think about sort of the You don't think the market, the, the EV market overall, has anything to do with it? I think I mean, very I think, little. I think that it's one, very little. one reason, but I think the other reason yeah, is that Apple has been left behind, left out of the AI party almost entirely. When, when you think AI player I mean, among right. the Mac it's 7, big Apple does not come to mind. It's a big step to go from making smartphones. It's a big step to go from making smartphones to making a car. Plus, it's not going. It wasn't going to fly, right. was it? And it wasn't going to be autonomous. So that's that was going to be. That's but the on, future, but on right, the AI Kathy? One. I think you're. I think they are behind. But I think you're going to see when they come up with their new iOS in June. Right. I think you're going to see all sorts of forms of AI in right. there. But the shift also of resources is significant. In terms potentially. of cash. In spend. terms of in terms of people, in terms of cash spent, in terms of mind share of the, com- of, of the corporation to AI. Maybe. I, I think, think this that was could such a small piece of Now, GM said and that they were going to not make EVs. Would that be a commentary on the overall EV market for you? Or, that or would even be a that would not but let be. Let me also just say okay. the other thing is, even mm-hmm. as they were making uh, or trying to develop these kind of cars, mm-hmm. part of the hedge of the whole thing was okay, we're going to go map the world in, because we need to do that for the, for the car to begin with. So in the process of doing that, that's going to help our maps. We're going to try to figure out how to do Apple CarPlay, which is, by the way, now in virtually every car right. in the world. Meaning it, the whole, even the way they approached developing the car was always a hedge with the idea that, you know what, if that doesn't happen, we're going to get about 10 other things out of it at the same time. Uh, he's big, he being Tim Cook, um, is big, obviously, on, um, well, not the goggles. But yes, the, the goggles. Headset. Not, not just that, but um, uh, well, give me the word. AR. Give me AR. That's a huge part of what they were doing with some of but the. But you wouldn't do this. Stuff. You wouldn't do this just to do it. And when you look at how difficult it is yeah. with Tesla entrenched where it and that's is, why even two and you or three see years Lucid ago, we started Rivian. hearing that they were going to do it with a partner anyway. I mean, how much mo- that would be a money pit. For okay. Apple to try. I mean, look at Rivian is so well backed, exactly. right? By Amazon, Ford initially, deep pockets, and yet can't. I mean, at this point, really, the only company stock, at least. making a go of it is Tesla, and it's not even in the Magnificent Seven anymore. Even Tesla, is it? Did we boot we it? We say this as if it's not even in the Magnificent Seven. The fact that it was even in the Magnificent Seven is sort of a striking and amazing. Why thing. the leading uh, a car company that had a combined market cap of the big three? I right. mean, it, which was always which was which always didn't make sense either. Well, the future. If the future is EVs, that's going to be a big market. It's, you think it's a bigger market than the entire auto industry? It should replace the entire auto industry theoretically, if we're by 2050. Sure. Will it? I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced, and, and Apple's not convinced either. All, right. All true. In other Apple news, representatives from the company met with the Justice Department last week in a final bid to persuade the agency not to file an antitrust suit against it. That is according to a Bloomberg report that said Apple lawyers met with Assistant Attorney General Jonathan Cantor, who will make the final call on whether to file a suit. Regulators have been probing Apple since 2019, alleging that Apple has imposed software and hardware limits on its devices to impede rivals from effectively competing. They're also pretty active with United Health. See that piece? Mm-hmm. When I'm reading it, you know, it's like, I think we're overdoing it with antitrust, the Biden administration, with Lena Khan and, just, and the Justice mm-hmm. Department. They definitely, everything's on, on the red. But in this case, don't you think 
if you own a doctor's group and you own insurance and you own you think that there's well there. I just think in healthcare that there's uh, some incestuous dealings that, uh, that that might that you probably could look at you think so Sorkin United I mean in healthcare don't you think there's some arrangements unfortunately that, yeah yeah I mean, this might, uh, Kroger, and, and I, I, I don't know, but people make the case if you're not near a Walmart and there's only a couple of supermarkets in your small little town, maybe it makes a difference. But it doesn't seem... You're advocating for this deal. I think that the, big, that the Walmarts of the world are the, the real competitive threat toward, towards monopolies, not Kroger and Albertsons getting together. But depending on how but small... what do you do in these smaller markets? Well, in the smaller markets, I don't know how you work that. Do you have... I don't know. Wasn't your dad an antitrust? He was. What, what does he think? Did you talk to him about this? I thing? have not talked to him about this transaction. I would think if he would actually make the argument that this is probably anti-competitive. Those two getting together. Those two oh, getting Albertson together. Kroger. But with margins of 1% in, the, in that business, probably. Right? Yeah, because again, part of it is the business isn't just selling the food the way you think it is. It's selling the shelf space. Right. So, meaning the shelf space is really sold. Like people don't people forget uh -huh. that when you walk into a store, most of these companies are paying off in some cases paying for shelf space. That's a whole different business. And if you and if you're the only eyes, if, you, if this goes back to if you're the app store, and you're you, the only place in town. But you know the rap is that it's for the the unions that need to, to offset each Albertsons against Kroger when at contract time. And that the body Well, we should talk about unions because I don't know if we're going to have time to talk about this big Starbucks story. Oh, yeah. Starbucks, I saw that. A, a Starbucks about to finally, and this is like, to me, a grand capitulation mm -hmm. uh, to Workers United. They've been fighting the unions forever. Oh, there should, it is. It's, let, it reappeared. Oh, my God. Let's, that let's, never happened. Let's tell everybody about that story real quick. Starbucks workers unionizing cafes. They're going to receive the pay hikes that their non-union co-workers first collected in May of 2020. This is uh, the beginning of potentially a thawing, if you will, in the negotiations between Starbucks and the unions representing some baristas. Starbucks also saying you provide unionized stores with credit card tipping, a benefit that's been available only uh, before to non-union stores for more than a year. That was a function of now saying, let's get together, let's try to get these lawsuits uh, put to the side, and let's try to negotiate. Now, there's only 4% of Starbucks stores that are unionized today. But the real question is, this to me potentially lays down the carpet and says unionize away, which was completely at odds, almost the antithesis of what Howard Schultz was trying to do, because he genuinely believed that once you get a union in between the workers and, and the company, that it breaks the entire ethos of what the company is all about. Like, kind of like Delta versus United. This goes back to our Delta versus United story. It's which kind of a union basher. He's, I, I'm not a union basher. Well, I, I, you, you actually are realistic about look, it. I want the employees in this to case. Get, I want employees to right. be able to get. Well, Delta employees seem to be happy. But, but to me, what's very true about the difference, and I'm, I don't know if I'm going to be flying on a United flight anytime soon, so maybe it's a bad <laughs> idea. It, the difference between when you're on a United uh, mm -hmm. Delta flight, first of all, the, the customer satisfaction is through the roof and the company's done quite well. But what's amazing about it, I think, is that the people who work there are super happy. And the truth is, if at 12.15, in the middle of the day, a seatbelt is missing uh, and someone has to go fix it, and someone's supposed to be at lunch, someone will go do that. If it's a United flight right. and it's lunchtime, they'll say, let's delay the flight, 
because it's lunchtime and, you know, oh, the flight's going to be late. Let's check the time. How about Am I out of hours? Right. Am I over time? The, the entire sort of mental framework and construct with how you work within the context of being at one of those airlines versus being, and I think that that is what people inside at the, at least the management okay. of Starbucks fear. One more thing, credit card tipping. You yes. can now do it, sorry. You're getting Chinese food, okay? Uh -huh. you, you are picking it up, take out. Take out. 10, 15, or 20%, what do you hit on them? Other, and I go to zero. <laughs> I knew I could get you to say and that. I say it proudly. I, I find it's it everywhere. It's, it's everywhere. I've, I've been right. some places where, you know, not even a restaurant. It's like I told you what happened to me at Newark Airport. At Newark Airport, I went through a self-checkout. Self-checkout. You scan the item yourself, put the credit card in, <laughs> and the screen pops up, and it says, says tip. what tip would you like? Ma right. Maybe you, yeah, you get the tip. But with AI, maybe, maybe. With AI you're <laughs> tipping the AI the bot. So we can take his AI girlfriend out, <laughs> I guess. I don't know. Cheese will be next. Coming up on Squawk Pod, another antitrust investigation opened, this time against a major health insurer in the network of doctors. Former FDA Commissioner Scott Gottlieb weighs in on consolidation in healthcare. He says there's an underlying issue at play. This is a problem with systematically underpaying providers through certain government programs and hoping that you know those providers can make it up in other parts of the market. You're going to see business arrangements like this that ultimately increase concentration in the market. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. This is Squawk Pod. Stand by, Joe. His mic. Q. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box uh, here on CNBC live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Joe Kernan along with Andrew Ross Sorkin and uh, Melissa Lee. Melissa Lee Melissa is Lee. here for the what whole three-hour party. It can, it can, it's very melodic. Well, it's only it's two Melissa. more hours left. Yeah. yeah, and you're so happy. <laughs> As the countdown you know clock what? continues. When, when she does that, it's a sort of pretend that, know. you know, she but she it. really is. But she really is. That's a way of sort of uh, throwing people off a little bit. But we know. We know. Here are the futures. Uh, the this love is real. Yeah. Here are the futures. Here around the table. Okay. You can cut it with a knife. Sam Bankman-Fried seeking a much lighter sentence than the roughly 100 years he faces for stealing billions from FTX customers. In court filing, Bankman-Fried's lawyers arguing that a roughly five to six and a half year sentence they're saying would be appropriate. Oh. They argue that FTX clients would get most of their funds back and also cited Bankman Freed's medical conditions, including autism. The sentencing is scheduled for March 28th. And there's been a big debate about deterrence, 
um, what's really happened here, as we talked about. Mm -hmm. It is true that, uh, in fact, most creditors are going to get 100 cents on the dollar, which is very interesting mm. compared to where we were you know, a year and a half ago where everybody thought that they had been they lost know, money. You know, robbed. Now, that does not change the allegations <laughs> or, the, exactly. or the conviction, but does it change, you know, unlike Bernie Madoff, where, you know, nobody got anything back, is that a different, does that change how you think about it? And again, from a deterrence perspective, to the extent you think that that's part of the effort, or is it really about, uh, you know, keeping him uh, in prison? We'll see. Several reports say that the DOJ, Department of Justice, has launched an antitrust probe into United Health. Companies has drawn scrutiny in recent years. It's broadened its reach across the healthcare sector. Our next guest says the move uh, seems a little late. Joining us now, former FDA Commissioner Dr. Scott Gottlieb. He's a CNBC contributor, serves on the boards of Illumina and Pfizer. And, and Scott, I, I, I've said, and not entirely jokingly, that, that this business is a great business to be in. And, and if, you, if you do operate it a certain way, there are some gray areas that, that can be uh, almost self-serving in, in, in the way things work, depending on, on which operations you're talking about, where one hand can kind of, or you can sort of wash the other at the same time. United Healthcare has been doing it for years. Well, look, a lot of this consolidation that you're seeing in the marketplace, and this has been underway for about 15 years, I think it really accelerated after the Affordable Care Act, is a result of the fact that CMS, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, systematically underpays doctors, certainly for Medicaid and increasingly for Medicare as well, that doctors lose money and hospitals lose money on their Medicare lines of business. And so what they've done in response to that is they've consolidated. They've sold their practices to hospitals and to insurance companies. And those entities have used the scale that they've acquired to uh, gain efficiencies and also drive up prices, cost shift to the private market, to privately insured patients. Um, CMS has been aware of this. I was in the government uh, and we were aware of it when I was there. Certainly CMS was aware of it under the Obama administration. You know, what DOJ bemoans CMS in some regards, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, I think accepts if not applauds because it allows them to systematically underpay under those government programs. The result mm -hmm. is, as you've noted, about 50% of all markets, according to a recent survey by the American Medical Association, are controlled by one, one large insurer in 50%, uh, more than 50% of physicians are controlled by one large insurer in 50% of the markets across the U.S. So you do have consolidation now. Um, these acquisitions have been largely Pac-Man acquisitions. Insurers and hospitals have bought up doctors in sort of onesies and twosies. They've done some big acquisitions, but a lot of this has been under the radar. Um, Scott, could a defense on the part of United Health be that medical loss ratios are through the roof at this point, or is that neither here nor there? It's not like they're, they're, you know, their margins are amazing because they've made all these acquisitions. We've seen it in the latest quarter that MLRs are, are just skyrocketing. Yeah, look, they're facing litigation in California right now. This may be just the DOJ investigating whether or not it wants to join that federal suit. So in Northern California, Eminent Health has filed suit against United Healthcare, alleging that United Healthcare's group Optum, which owns the physicians, they own about 90,000 physicians across the U.S., uh, came to that healthcare group and said, we don't want to compete for primary care physicians in this local market. And when that healthcare group refused to do that, they're alleging that Optum froze them out of some contracts. And so this could, this investigation, there wasn't a lot of detail around it, could be the DOJ making an assessment whether or not they want to join that suit. I don't think the fact that insurers um, 
run on tight margins and is going to be part of their defense. I think they're going to have to go market by market if there are allegations in specific markets that they have too much concentration and there's unfair business practices taking place in those markets. But it is the case, you know, that insurers uh, aren't doing well either. They're seeing reimbursement go down under Medicare and Medicaid. I think this is a problem with systematically underpaying providers through certain government programs and hoping that, you know, those providers can make it up in other parts of the market. You're going to see business arrangements like this that ultimately increase concentration in the markets as people try to react to the fact that they're not being paid, um, you know, a fair wage on certain services. If you look at hospitals right now and you look across their lines of business, they literally lose, you know, 10 to 20 percent on most Medicare lines of business outside of cardiology, urology, maybe some other high, high price services. And what happens also is they overinvest in those services. So you get too many cardiology uh, suites in hospitals because that's the one place they can make money. Well, all that is, uh, none of that is the way it's supposed to work. Uh, it's supposed to go where, uh, where you need it, <clears throat> I, I think. Healthcare inflation has moderated. It's all we talked about five years ago. Scott, is that because of uh, what, what you're talking about? Is that actually a, a good thing, what we've seen with, with CMS and with reimbursement? Well, look, there is some um, arguments that could be made that the consolidation has driven efficiencies, that doctors practicing in small group practices isn't the most efficient way to deliver health care, that when you aggregate doctors into these large networks, you can deploy services, information technology, other kinds of services that can help reduce costs and increase efficiency. And I think that's certainly been true. And I think Optum and United Healthcare and other insurers, as they've come in to acquire these doctor practices, have introduced you know, reforms and new business arrangements that have increased efficiency. And that's certainly part of why uh, inflation has moderated in recent years. But, you know, if you talk to the doctors, they'll argue in the hospitals, they'll argue that they're getting squeezed, that they're losing money on a lot of the government business, and that they've had to make up for it by shifting costs to privately insured patients. And there's only so much they can do. Uh, there's only so much cost that they can shift to the privately insured patients before you start to see so too much inflation in employer-provided insurance, and the employers push back. And I think that's what's happening now in most markets. I mean, you don't see any, it, it, they've dealt with uh, physicians that, that are, or a group that might own an imaging lab uh, over um, prescribing procedures. I mean, that, that's, that's a thing of the past mostly, is it not? Is that part of this? Yeah, the, the stark provisions, you know, are now, have been in place for decades. And the ability to self-refer, which is what you're referring to, you know, buy a radiology practice and refer your own radiology practice, that has largely been extinguished from the market. There are certain places where it's allowed, but it's very closely scrutinized by regulators. I think this this is probably, there's some suggestion in the Wall Street Journal article, this is more related to how Optum is contracting for provider services in markets where it owns a lot of the physicians. Again, it may be related to the eminent health uh, uh, federal lawsuit that's already underway. We'll find out more in about two weeks when United files its 10K. But, you know, they've, they've stepped in in recent years to block mergers, acquisitions of large provider practices by hospitals and insurance companies. So the FTC has been waking up to this. It's hard to police because a lot of the acquisitions aren't in big uh, purchases. They're what I said was Pac-Man acquisitions, buying up small doctor practices in local markets that fall under the radar. And final point here, remember, all healthcare is local. So, you know, if you control 50, 60 percent of a local market, that's a monopoly. Uh, even if you don't control 50 or 60 percent of the market across the entire United States, most people get their health care locally. And if one entity, a hospital or insurance company, owns most of the providers, they're dealing with a monopoly in their local market. We will have you back in a couple of weeks when we uh, know more about this. It should, should be a lot clearer. But that was great, Scott. Thanks. Thanks a lot. 
Next on Squawk Pod, AI is shifting everything. How you use your phones, how you purchase, how you plan, how you work. But can we trust it? Google's Gemini is offline after inaccurate and biased responses. Former head of Goldman Sachs HR Edith Cooper joins us on the risk of AI. What's most important is to really take the time and be intentional and understand the power of the tools, but also the implications uh, when the tools are not monitored appropriately. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Squawk Pod from CNBC. Good morning. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We're live from the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. I'm Melissa Lee, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Becky is off today. Damage control at Alphabet CEO Sundar Pichai addressing problematic responses from its AI model Gemini. Users found its image service was generating historically inaccurate images, such as a black Vikings and a female pope. Chai said those images and other responses were, quote, completely unacceptable, promising to make company-wide structural changes to prevent similar incidents. And a note to Google employees late yesterday, uh, Pichai saying, no AI is perfect, especially at emerging stages of the industry's development, but we know the bar is high for us and we will keep at it for however long it takes. Advancements in artificial intelligence leading to more layoffs as companies uh, leverage AI for productivity gains. Joining us right now with more on the future of work and workplace trends, Edith Cooper, co-founder of Medley. She is on the boards of Amazon and PepsiCo, as well as the former head of human capital at Goldman Sachs. Good morning to you. Good morning. So what do you think? We all sort of debate whether AI is coming for our job or not and which jobs are coming and all of that. Where, where do you land? Uh, AI is here. Uh, AI will continue to impact uh, your jobs, my work, uh, and the society and communities that we live in. And what's most important is to really take the time and be intentional and understand uh, the power of the tools, but also the implications uh, when the tools are not uh, monitored appropriately. But is your view that the productivity gains, you know, some people say this is going to make us superhuman. It's going to make us more productive, and that's great. The question is, if it is an augmented tool to us as humans, fabulous. If it's a replacement for us, less fabulous. Yeah, I, I am not a believer. Uh, in fact, I feel very strongly that AI and generative AI will make human more important. Uh, in the workplace, I believe, uh, and we have seen at Medley, which is a group coaching platform that works with companies who are investing in their people, that the skills of judgment of listening, of dialogue are going to be more important. Skills that are not going to be as prevalent are data gathering, right. um, you know, doing spreadsheets and, you know, generating uh, analysis that, quite frankly, can be done more accurately and efficiently with, okay, with so technology here's a question tools. For you. So, and, and you lived inside Goldman Sachs for a very long time, a place with an apprenticeship culture. And that was a culture that created actually, uh, you know, from young people coming out of college or business school up to managing directors and partners, right? And part of that whole thing was about creating the judgment that you talk about. And part of that came from ostensibly, you know, 
staying up all night and working on the deck and understanding every last number in the spreadsheet and knowing that, oh, that actually, that, that one Bottom cell, that one yeah, cell. Programming the spreadsheet, that, all of that. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah, that one cell was actually wrong and actually because of that one cell in the formula, the whole thing is actually yeah. wrong, okay. If all of that part of it goes away, if you can't know what's actually happening inside the system, can you ever be able to train and learn and have that apprenticeship culture to get that judgment that is ultimately going to be the most important aspect of what you're talking about? I think when you consider and look at the output of AI, you're going to have to have the ability to continue to drill down. So it's gonna give you an answer. It's gonna give you a suggestion, but you're gonna to have to be able to look at it, look at all of those numbers and say, wait a minute, that one does not really jive with my instincts. Right. right, going back to what I said before, judgment and instincts are going to be of higher value. And I question, actually, whether doing the, the, the spreadsheet is the most critical thing in that judgment. I would suggest that the mentorship culture in any strong organization really comes from sitting down with your manager or your leader right. and, and discussing it and determining what are the data points why that couldn't don't make judgment, sense from a judgment. Why couldn't the judgment of the AI model 20 years from the day be better than the judgment of a human? How, I'm sorry. That's the point of the singularity, I think, is when, is when you get to a point where these things are so powerful, these machines are so powerful, why wouldn't actual judgment, if we do get to a sentient mm -hmm. machine, why couldn't, human judgment is, is faulty and it's based on experiences and input and everything you've learned. If a machine knows a billion times more than the most advanced human, why couldn't the actual judgment be superior? I, I to don't the think a machine is going to have- 20 years from now? Uh, the 20 years from now, what is the human being going to be? What is the thinking know. of I, a human being? I don't think being? we know I that. Don't. I think if, you, if the machines eventually could supersede human content, maybe, I don't know. I don't or know, maybe. and that is really the point, right? We don't know. And so therefore, what's critically important is that we get on top of it, and we really do the work to understand While we the still implications before of they get, Before what they get rid of us. What is your take on, on, on these issues around bias in, in AI? Oh, I think it's very important, and I think that you know AI has to be responsible. I mean, let's take a, a, an example. Uh, if you were to look and use historical data to predict who would be the right, you know, uh, managing director or even starting out analyst at any organization, entry-level position, quite frankly, what the data might tell you is that you had to go to one of five schools, right. you had to be of one demographic, you had to, to present yourself in a certain way, and quite frankly, that's based upon history. That has biases worked into it. And so I think it's critically important, again, to be responsible with the tools. It goes back to the question that you asked before. Like, are we just going to get rid of people and judgment? This is an example of where it would be dangerous to do so. Mm. Edith, it is great to see you this morning. Thank you. Thanks. And that is Squawk Pod for today. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Thank you to Melissa Lee for sitting in. You can get Squawk Box a few ways. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern or stream on Peacock. Search Morning News Live. Don't have three hours, but still like what we do? You're in the right place right now. Get the best of our TV show right in your ears when you follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. That's it. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys.
CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.